0: You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder, John Wellborn, as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, aka Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, You've come to the right place. Now, with the warm up done, let the gains begin. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We have a fun one in store for you today. We are exploring the origins of one of Power Athlete's kick ass taglines, mottos, trademarks Eat the Week. So this Dates back to, I first witnessed this when I attended and competed in Occupy Strength when Power Athlete was putting on training competitions, combine esque experiences. And I brought my whole crew, including Callie, Coach Callie, to an event with a theme Occupy Strength. Where was this? And Eat the Week. We attended Ball, Ballmore, oh, Baltimore. 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 Okay. Yes. So that was it was an awesome experience all around. I don't think I was there. Was I negative? It was Mr. Luke Summers. That's when uh, one fateful morning met Luke for the first time. And then his teammate, his PIC, Bo Columbo, Bo
1: Orlando, excuse me. So uh, I was right in the middle of the baby throws. Uh, Mm -hmm. So my kids were born October of 2011. And so there was a huge chunk in there. Uh, Obviously, we had twins where I just missed time and wasn't involved. So. We needed to do an event. We wanted to do something. People have been asking us to do combines. At the time, we had Occupy Wall Street was all over the media, and we decided just
0: to play upon the name and do Occupy Strength. Mm-hmm. And within that, there was a theme of Occupy Strength, and on the T-shirt, the front, eat the Weak." Mm-hmm. And Since then, this has evolved and grown into, and I'll read it here, eat the Weak," not a call for cannibalism but a mindset to dominate total domination, not only in your competitors, but of yourself. No one said it'd be easy. Conflict crafts character, devour weakness, doubt, fear, and feeble excuses. Consume them before they consume you eat the weak. Mm -hmm. So take us back. Occupy wall street. Well, what's the origin
1: story you heard? And then I'll give you, and then I'll give you the truth.
0: So the essential this moment, this Occupy Strength is when I was able to connect with Luke and you had this call out to the world looking for expanded coaching staff, as you explained at that time, you were in the throes of the twins and Callie and I, who were running the gym in DC, we both applied. So y'all were looking for two people, both of us applied. And this was our essential introduction. So you could put names to the faces on our applications, which then led to an interview successful interview Callie goes at the Cali, and then I'm on the East Coast and there's East Coast opportunities it was New Hampshire uh, Miami or Coral's Gable so there was some East Coast that I got the opportunity to travel to and that's where I heard the stories and then there was a, a an event in Miami involving a couple bath salts and a man that attacked another man and ate his face yeah so part of the the origin story that I heard, this might have been, the I think it was the Virginia Beach seminar that I helped out with, or one of like. Well, uh, the bath
1: salts, uh is what started the, I don't know if you saw that we did a t-shirt. So the most expensive t-shirt we've ever done, I did the graphic design for, which was a hand coming out of like a crypt. Uh-huh. And it was the what are you training for Halloween shirt, which was based upon the zombie apocalypse bath salt eating face florida person.
0: Yeah. So par- part of the origin that I interpreted in to- 2012 hanging out uh, with the crew was the person trying to attack the other person and eat their face. Like eat the weak. No. Nah, that is uh, 100% conjecture
1: and not true and not the origin story that you were that that really had this play into. Do you want to hear the truth? Let's let's hit it. Okay. So We wanted to do Occupy Strength based off of the Occupy Wall Street. You know, Occupy Strength, it was this idea that, you know, if strength is a platform, we're going to occupy it. We're going to build upon a contest for it. Um, As we were doing the the branding piece, Harry, uh, when I pitched him this idea, said, you need a tagline. So couldn't think of anything cool. Uh, I was by myself in Little Power Athlete at the time, or actually that was before we started Little Power Athlete, so I would have been in CrossFit Balboa, and I went there to go hide, uh, which is what I would do. Um, if I had free time, I would go to Balboa. I'd hide in my office, uh, try to get all my work done because obviously we were in the throes of the baby deal. And I went in to go work out, and on my playlist, obviously my big Motorhead fan, Lemmy's Eat the Rich comes up. And as I'm jamming to Eat the Rich from Lemmy, uh, I somehow uh left there and after that workout came back and when i sat down i started looking for kind of like eat the rich and ended up with eat the weak, and it was more this idea of man i have no idea actually i can't even really tell you how that came into my mind but it was it, it wasn't the idea of like you know we're going to eat the you know the weak people whatever. Um, I think it came down to the fact that there was a lot of weakness that we were observing. You know, obviously the opposite of strong is weak. You know, occupy strength, eat the weak. And I felt that they played well together. So um, this is when I was still designing
0: t-shirts. And that there was a shirt before for the event that sold actually, out. Actually,
1: actually, this is before Harry Heppenstall. I think this might be pre Harry Heppenstall. So, yeah. uh, I think as we were putting on the eat the week thing, we needed a tagline. I don't know why I threw Harry's name Well, the, name the
0: tagline before so the Baltimore one, I know it wasn't the first one. I'm not sure what number, how it ranked, but there was a tagline before on a shirt that says don't have heroes and yeah. occupy strength. Yeah, that so was, this, uh, this was numero dos.
1: So the don't have heroes one, um, actually comes from my first meeting with uh, Jim Wendler. And uh so I meet Jim uh when we're out at West Side, we go to dinner and we were sitting out there. Uh I remember we were sitting at the bar and Nate Austin was with us and Nate was talking about all of his strength training heroes. And I think Wendler was like uh uh we were talking about something and um he made just an off the cuff comment to Nate, which is like, dude, the reason that you know, in typical Jim Wendler style, which you know, you get you we we've seen The kinder, gentler, not nearly as abrasive Jim Wendler we got to see years later, but Jim back in the day was pretty fucking abrasive. And I think he laughed at him and scoffed at Nate and said, Hey, you know, uh, the reason you're never going to amount to shit is you have fucking too many heroes. And we were, I was telling him a story about, you know, growing up playing football and, um, you know, not necessarily like looking up to anybody. And I think it was just kind of an interesting thing where he's like, I think, uh, you know, people that have heroes are continuously disappointed If you, you know, once you're disappointed in your heroes, it's a negative thing. If you don't have heroes, you kind of go on. And so the, the don't have heroes one also was a, you know, was a swipe at a little bit of the CrossFit stuff where everywhere, like we would go, people would be like, so-and-so is my hero. And it just got to the point. It's kind of like, um, on Instagram, you see people like post a shirtless picture and all these dipshits will be like goals, 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 you know? Body goals. I mid-section. don't know who you're following, but oh, dude, my answer to that is no. I see it. Uh, people post that shit. And it's like this weird thing that somehow like, you know, this picture you have is their goal. That's goals. I thought
0: it was well, stupid. Well, I, I did post one shirtless pic and then it was turned into an Adam Levine meme on Power Athletes. Oh, so I, I believe. Never there's,
1: again. There's many memes <laughs> that you're associated with that should be out there. But where it comes from <laughs> was. Is that on your hard drive? Was the Yeah, I don't worry. I got hundreds of memes for you. Uh, came from that deal with Jim Wendler. When we just kind of sat down, we were sitting at a bar. Um, I always remember it because he ordered a, you know, glass ice with some Jim Beam in it and then pulled out his own energy drink and cracked it. And he was oh like, he's like, he's like, they don't bring my, he's like, they don't have the monster I like. And I was like, <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. I don't come to this restaurant. So, uh, through this conversation, it was this like, Hey, don't have heroes. Um, and, you know, and the CrossFit hero workouts and everybody's a hero. Rich Froning's my hero, the hero. And I was like, cause they asked me and I'm like, fuck man, don't have heroes. All you're doing is disappointed. Look at if anything, the super uh, superhero movies have taught us was that our superheroes are human and that they make mistakes. And regardless of how much we put them up on a pedestal, we're constantly disappointed. If you don't have heroes, then you know what, then, you know, you become your own fucking superhero, build yourself into your own version of your superhero. And so the eat the weak was really just, uh, this idea that like, if the uh, opposite of light is dark, if the opposite of strength is weak, then you know what we're going to devour weakness, and we're going to absolutely decimate this thing. And that the occupy strength was about people meeting weakness, devouring weakness, and eating the weak.
0: Yeah, and it was a, it was a genuine experience, like it, it was a, a strength experience. Which uh, working in the CrossFit community at the time, there wasn't a lot of those. It was more of the the fitness work capacity events, and this was it was all about one RMs and into a heavy, hard, fast. And uh, what Callie and I were able to do at the gym is turn it into a team event because we were both team athletes and we created a team. Even though it was a, an individual competition, we rocked and rolled uh, with 30 deep and uh, turned it into a, a genuine experience that represented the eat the week well, whether we realized it or not. Yeah. And now I, I feel like the don't have heroes almost evolved into this eat the week. Yeah, it did. So rather than looking around, well, now well, we can look within.
1: People got super butthurt off the don't have heroes because at the time everybody was talking about hero wads. Like, oh, these hero wads and CrossFit was putting up their CrossFit heroes. Um, you know, and we had, I think it's great that, uh, you know, the hardest CrossFit workout in history is Khao Su, which was not a CrossFit workout, it was a CrossFit football workout. And for an individual that passed away during Vietnam, you know, when we were, you know, people were asking for CrossFit football hero workouts. I mean, what well, we got like Pat Tillman. I mean, there wasn't that many. Um, but the idea of like be your own superhero. You know, Tony Blowers, be your own bodyguard. Stop mm-hmm. waiting for somebody to come and save you. Right? Stop waiting for heroes to, uh, you know, motivate you to be what you need to be. If you, you know, like and then I think we about that time we did a seminar at a gym that when we walked in painted on the wall. Was the home of the triple murph and this guy had like coined it that like his fucking sword in the ground excuse me was the triple murph that uh they saw murph and then they tripled it and this was their marker like this was their true testament to having heroes and i think i was like Fuck, man don't have heroes if it involves a triple murph don't have heroes and it was in chicago it was in chicago yeah okay so The home of the Triple Murph. So there was a lot of things at play. I mean, the conversation with Jim Wendler, like, um, because he asked me, like, hey, like, who did you look up to when you were a kid? And uh, I was like, my dad, my brothers. Um, I didn't really know any football players, wasn't a big football fan, Uh, you know, since getting to meet, you know, players that I I thought were good. You know, it was never like, oh, I idolized this person. I was heroic of this person. I think when people come to meet their heroes, I think they're always severely disappointed. Yeah, I'm not even going to look this gym up and probably doesn't even exist anymore yeah after everybody died with rhabdo so uh the don't have heroes thing was kind of a play on the hero workouts from crossfit no disrespect in any way to the individuals that passed away and have since been immortalized but uh it became this like weird thing where they had these girl workouts and hero workouts and this and it just felt really just i don't know hollow and um Uh, I got tired of just listening to it and Mm -hmm. I didn't have heroes growing up. I mean, my heroes were my, you know, my family, my brothers, the people that were tangible. It wasn't as if I was watching NFL Sunday and, you know, this guy's my hero. And, um, it just felt like at the, at the pinnacle of CrossFit, there was a lot of hero worship and I was like, my deal was like, man, one, I'm not your hero Two, uh, I, you know, I mean, I've always said I was a pretty good athlete, pretty good football player. That had enough wherewithal to know what I was doing to be able to tell and work with other people to help them on their journey. You know, I never officially crossed the threshold into coach um, because, you know what, like I never viewed that as my deal. I always think that some of the best teachers are athletes that are still competitive and still can do some shit that you can effectively go in and work with. Um, so pretty interesting. Uh, I took Jamie up to jujitsu yesterday and, uh, the place that she's training at six blades, um, um, Shandi Rubirio, who's the, the main dude there. He just fought in that, uh, ADCC and, uh, at 41 years old, he just retired from, you know, I mean like 11 like time world champion. I mean, an incredible, uh, pedigree. And as he, and we watched it and I, and as we were talking about it, he got, you know, beat on points in the first round by a dude that was super quick. And uh, he's like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm retired now. I'm no longer an athlete. And I didn't have the time to tell him being like, fucking, you're always an athlete. And if anything, um, my first thing to him is when he said that, I was like, man, you should come train with us. Cause I have a feeling that if you came and trained and lifted weights with us, you could go back and be competitive because I'll tell you, I don't give a shit if it's Gordon Ryan or whoever's winning this shit, they're not using the training that we know if we could take a little bit of the power athlete stuff that we're doing in, ter- in terms of, in terms we know, in terms of developing, uh, you know, strength, muscle speed, mix it with what his training is. I'm like, dude, we could give you an element where you could go out and fucking continue to fuck these dudes up. And I just don't think they have access to it. But I think like a guy like Gordon Ryan does, um, I think he's being pretty progressive in his training. And so my next conversation is, is like, Hey man, when are you going to show up? Cause I guarantee in six, seven, eight weeks, maybe three months of training, if you came consistently, I have a feeling you could go back and you would try to be like, I can still go do this. And, um, you know, the one thing which is cool is he actually said, hey, you know what, I'm walking away from this. Whereas in the NFL, you don't ever get that decision. You know, somebody else decides when your athletic life ends and begins. And then once it ends and you're no longer invited to go play in the NFL, there really is no other place for you to go. It's not like, you know. He obviously competes at this high level, but still gets to show up to the, you know, to the dojo, show up to jujitsu role and work with people. And you still get to live and breathe it um, unless you go decide to go be a coach. But for me, standing on that side with the whistle, not actively doing it uh, is almost worse than not doing it at all. So finding other ways to help athletes, I think, is sort of the way that uh, I've ported my stuff. And to bring it back, I mean, when we've thought about this mantra and what's wild too, you're going to love this. So when I left the weight room, went in listening to eat the week, or I'm sorry, eat the rich and came out with eat the week. First thing I did, which I do for everything that we're going to do is I do a Google search and then I do a trademark search and I look to see it. And at that point in 2012, not a single person had used the term eat the week in any form of commerce there was no trademarking there was nothing associated with it now obviously social media hadn't grown you know in terms of instagram and you know facebook obviously was still relatively new twitter had kind of just come on the scene um the hashtag didn't exist so uh, we started using it in commerce, um, started making shirts with eat the week, uh, ended up after using it in commerce for another years, number of years, finally going back and trademarking it and then getting the trademark deal. And the amount of people that have fucking latched onto my eat the week that have tried to make shirts and fucking branded it or, and tried to make merchandise is fucking just embarrassing. And, uh, they usually get cease and desist. A bunch of professional wrestlers try to get onto it, but fucking they just hit them with a cease and desist and they get butt hurt. But at the end of the day, it's like, Hey man, uh, like, you can't say you created this because we've been using it for so long. I mean, we, we're using it in commerce and shirts. It's been a hashtag in all of our fucking merch and all of our stuff for years, and it's a reason we own it. And uh, and and it, at the end of the day, I can tell you exactly what the origin is. We were doing Occupy Strength. The opposite of strength is weak, you know, strong and weak. We were occupying it. We were going to devour weakness, eat the weak, very simple, based off of Lemmy's, eat the rich.
0: Yeah, and it, there's so much depth to it and and I, I love the the full combination of the 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 mantra that is within it and i want to go back to something you said as an athlete uh working with other athletes to remain competitive and that's the beauty of uh connecting with those is they are going to push you as you mentioned bringing him in to come train with us and have that opportunity where you see where his limitations and weaknesses are and he sees where you are yours are for your the skill of jujitsu
1: well i mean uh for those guys the ability to move through space is really fascinating to me um i like to go and watch and i think it's really interesting in terms of like different planes of motion and movement uh you know my daughter who's um you know relatively new and it's still pretty decent just because she has such a good athletic background in terms of gymnastics playing sports swimming so i mean she's not like she was good at backstroke and she's like in the car i asked her i was like you know how when you were doing those moves and you were on your back how'd you feel? She's like, I feel pretty good. Like I'm used to doing backstroke. So it was interesting to see her making the connections. And the one thing that, uh, when I asked her, I'm like, where, you know, do you feel that, uh, when you lock up with these other kids or you're moving with them, do you feel like you're weak or strong? And she's like, well, I feel strong, but I also wonder if, because my limbs are long, I feel pretty strong. And I was like, interesting. Like you have leverage. And she's like, well, I can keep them away from me. And as long as my arms are kind of straight or my legs are straight, I'm pretty good. So I mean, um, but there's like an interesting training thing. The one thing I'm super excited about is uh, Logan Paulson's strength engine just showed up.
0: Yeah, well, I want to stay so, with, the-
1: uh, but like like involving that too in terms of the movement stuff, which we're going to play a bunch with that. I'm super excited to get that rock and roll.
0: Yes, but then identifying weaknesses, but the the mindset of devour weakness. So seeking out other training partners that can add value to your limitations, but having the the willingness to devour it doubt and fear by seeking out other expertise in different fields, you are eliminating that fear. So finding people to not necessarily export your weaknesses, but give you the opportunity to improve them.
1: Well, I mean, um, like most people never know their lug nuts are loose until they take a curve. So I think uh, a lot of times it's very easy to drive fast on a straight road, to use some fucking racing analogies. But invariably, you got to build something. you got to go out and test it. Like we just got done with that, um, you know, the Wade's Army Blazer. Uh, I was going to go race it around last night, but we didn't have any taillights. So we got to finish, put some taillights on it. But being able to stress test things that you create in the gym or within the shop or within the world is really the greatest application for all of this stuff. So being able to look at somebody in terms of an athlete and develop them um, and then find different ways to test it. One of the, the greatest things that we've done, not only through CrossFit Football and Power Athlete, by I've been delivering training programs to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the globe is the real world application of everything. Um, if the only marker that I ever got back was I can see my abs or I'm carrying more muscle to be more jacked and be healthy, I think that's a life worth living. But at the end of the day, like that wasn't my training goal. My training goal was to get as big and strong and fast and athletic and explosive as I could so I could port that on the field to go out and eat the week or fucking just try to fucking murder people. And uh, I mean, when this is another interesting thing, Um, you know, when you watch NFL Sunday and you're seeing these players out there and you listen to Aaron Rodgers and all these guys talk like the philosophical aside at the core of that deal there are dudes on the ball whether it be offensive defensive linemen that their entire focus isn't any of that it's to put their hand in the dirt to come off the ball as fast and as hard as they can and impose their will and try to fuck a dude up and then go back to the huddle and do it over and over again for three hours that's all i wanted to do um i didn't care about you know, this or the social or any other shit. I, I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to basically get in my stance, put my foot in there, and um, my foot and hand in the dirt, and come off the ball and smash a dude and impose my will upon them. And whether or not that's a weakness within myself or the weakness within other people, uh, the eat the weak mantra um, and really just the words that we put associated with it, you know, it's not a call for cannibalism, it's the idea of devouring weakness it was really, um, you know, the embodiment of a focus from you know for many many years of training for football that there was uh you know if you think about um soft points in armor right if you're trying to like you know put on body armor this I and mean, you talk about soft points this uh we're effectively trying to create the best organism that you can the most efficient one to go out and do the function and that's what we did with football you know could i be big and strong put my foot in the ground and go 100 miles an hour and be able to drive you know uh, full extension Um, you know, get through an individual, you know, use compensatory acceleration to drive my hands and my head through them and basically drive them off the ball or do whatever, you know, stone them on a pass pro. So all of those things had to happen in real time, but all of that time, everything was crafted in the off season with a constant state of work. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was no room for doubt. Um, that's always an interesting thing too. And I, I played with a ton of dudes. That had doubt in their mind, had doubt in their heart, running out there. You know, I mean, there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome for everybody. But at the end of the day, like that imposter syndrome doesn't manifest on game day in such a way like I can't do it. The imposter in syndrome manifests in the off season where somebody's working harder than me, and I have to try to meet the the demand of where, or really the standard that I've placed for myself.
0: Yeah, I man, I, w- I was listening to a, a sports psychologist, and essentially. Describing different types of athletes to look out for. And it was the the person that has the doubts that's speaking to the worry building up during the off season. So they're they're focusing so much on the game, so far away from game day. They've lost before they ever get there. Not no, so this is a little different. So then they they uh, this is the where the, the coach comes in is to focus on that and find out where it is. If it's within movement training, then uh, reassuring that they're putting in the work so the farther they worry about game day the better because we have this opportunity the person with the false bravado i'm doing enough i show up the false confidence but then it all of a sudden it hits them on game day so if they're during training and look out for this they have this false bravado and like oh yeah coach i got it
1: so in my typical uh, philosophy state i coined the term in the absence of true leadership false prophets appear and that was, came from playing for the Eagles. Uh, I realized that if you did not have stable leaders, the type of people that said, hey, everybody come up, we're gonna strap up our fucking helmets, we're gonna run out there and we're gonna fuck these dudes up, anything less is unacceptable. What happened was if you didn't have those strong leaders, all of a sudden you started getting false profits where all of a sudden people started yelling and screaming and making all these profits. And the dude that fucking shows up last or shows up late that doesn't do what he's supposed to do that shows up overweight all of a sudden wants to like take a hold and like break the team down and give a fucking inspirational speech, which there's nothing worse than a guy who doesn't train, doesn't fucking come in on weight, who doesn't bust his ass in practice and who's lazy as fuck on game day, showing up, trying to give motivational speeches. Nothing will deflate a room faster than somebody that doesn't have like, I mean, shit, dude, like you in an NFL team, um, salary is obviously kind of important, right? Cause like the leadership is placing their importance on an individual with it. But at the end of the day, man, uh, I don't give a fuck what people pay, you know, a guy could be making a minimum dude could be making 250 million. If the dude that is making the minimum busts his ass runs fast, hustles is on time is early does everything he can and shows himself to be the type of player you want around because he goes hard all the time doesn't you know like the the dude that gels up um that's the guy that you want you know the guy that you know like the quiet leader the dude that just leads by example that all of a sudden doesn't say a lot of shit but on game day fucking snatches it up and puts his hand up and is like we're gonna fucking get out there and get this going um that's what you're looking for And with, and and like, I've always been a fan of people that lead from the front. I've always never asked anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Like I would never tell my kids or anybody around me, Hey, I want you to go do this When I wouldn't go do it. I mean, shit, dude. Like, I mean, just think about the collective. Hey Tex, we need to get this done. Shit. You see me cleaning the same way. Um, you know, we still do, you know, like we had a, a bunch of trash I mean, a bunch of shit we had to get rid of, clean the ranch up. I mean, shit, dude, I was... I mean, my wife was out there. I was out there. uh, You know, my kids were out there a little bit. But I mean, at the forefront, like it's really hard getting our hands dirty at the dump. (laughs) uh, Of course. And you have to. Uh, Like, I, I firmly believe that you can't ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And I think that's a little bit with football where, you know, you get a lot of coaches that maybe never played the game or never really worked out or whatever, screaming at people. I always like the coaches that fucking played the game, you know, the Ron Rivera's, um, you know, those type of individuals. I mean, I had a coach named Dave Zawatson who played for the Bears, played at Cal. Um, he was our graduate assistant, was such an impactful dude for me because he played the game and gave me a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of feedback. I mean, his whole thing about punching with the thumb up so you don't get hyperextended elbows – Came from him. And what he did is he went like this. He had two huge scars on his elbows from guys that punched this way, hyperextended, and that got him out of the NFL. And he's like, I'm going to teach you to punch with your with thumbs up so you're not going to get hyperextended your elbows. And I learned that from him. So, I mean, those type of individuals, uh, Jeff Gonzalez talked about when he was a young SEAL, they had all these like old Vietnam vets that were their uh, instructors. And you guys, these guys were tough as nails. And the stories they told, he goes, You know, we, rever- we revered these guys because. Uh, Not of what they said, but because of the ethos that they created. So um, in the absence of false leadership, false prophets appear. And I think whether it be a team, a family, a company, whatever it is, you have to lead from the front and you have
0: to be the standard at which things are measured. Yeah. And the key word with that is is devour. So it's devour weakness, doubt, fear, and feeble excuses. Consume them before they consume you. And you've been on a number of teams throughout your career and professional and business and and, uh, I have the collegiate teams and professional teams and working teams and working under head coaches for different strength teams. But then the the cancer, the one negative, the person that doesn't buy in and that starts to erode and consume or the person that is consumed by this weakness, it then negatively affects the stronghold and people around them.
1: Yeah, I mean if um if things aren't going well and you you watch this. I mean uh you saw the Chiefs deal where uh B-Anime B-Anime and um uh Patrick Mahomes, who I don't know Pat, but I know Eric Bianomi. Uh I think that um uh I was I played with him. He was our running back when I was a rookie in, in Kansas City or in sorry, in Philadelphia. Uh, to the point where I came in the huddle and I was like, holy shit, Eric Bieniemy, Colorado. I mean, I remember seeing him play. Is that your hero? No. <laughs> no, but I remember seeing him play because, uh, you know, I mean, that was like national championship stuff. I and mean, we were always watching football at the time. So, I mean, it was neat to like.
0: You, well, Colorado was something back then, right? Oh, yeah. Colorado, Nebraska was a big deal. Dude, huge big deal. 12. And, um, you know, I'd gotten recruited by
1: Colorado and Nebraska. So to watch that and then all of a sudden, like, see those national championships, those big games, and then to all of a sudden have my, like, welcome the NFL moment as I'm in the huddle with Eric Bieniemy was pretty neat. So I know him. Um, I don't know him as a coach, uh, but I see them, John, back and forth. And then I don't know if you saw Andy Reid's deal where it's like, hey, you know, like this, you know, and Andy is real good. He's got big, broad shoulders, and he's always been the first one to be like, hey, this is my team. Everything begins and ends with me, and if this is wrong, I'm going to get it right which is what a coach does. The job of the head coach is to be the focal point. Like, this is my team. If there's a problem, I'm going to make a change. What I hate is when head coaches start pointing fingers at people, the first person they got to point to is themselves. Right? Like, there's nothing like getting thrown under the bus in the media. And... Uh, <laughs> The way that the coaches would usually do it, which is one of my favorites, I was laughing about this because I, I was listening to the um, Joe Rogan, Aaron Rodgers podcast, um, driving up to take Jimmy jiu-jitsu yesterday, and Aaron Rodgers was kind of going through uh, his experience with the media and all that. And I laughed, and what coaches usually do, and you're going to love this, um, if uh, A- Andy Reid gets up there and he says, oh, you know, this begins and ends with me. Then what he does is he goes and he privately meets with the different you know media organizations or the sports writers, and he tells them things. And then those individuals walk down to your office or I'm sorry, down to your uh, to your locker and then they'll interview you and they'll come over and they'll say things like uh, "Word going around the facility is that, you know, you're missing a lot of blocks or you're not playing as hard or you're doing this. So instead of them coming out and they won't call you out in the media, but they'll call you out privately to those individuals who will go and then try to get you to say something of dissension. And you know that that information comes right from the fucking team or somebody in the front office. Well, you know, I'm sure a lot of players out there fall for it. Oh, well, they do. Um, I, uh, I had, uh, shit, I was in, I was standing at my, I was when I was playing for the Eagles. I was at my locker and uh, Jermaine Mayberry and I had lockers next to each other. And uh, no, I'm sorry. They were, I was uh, sorry. Jermaine was on one side. So we were playing, I, he was guard and I was guard. And then Runyon was on the other side. And one of the sports writers said, uh, do you have any concerns as well as the tackles are playing with your ability to run the ball? And uh, I, I was there and Jermaine and I turned and we were like, I mean, as well as the tackles are playing, are you saying that the centers and the guards aren't playing well? And then the sports writer was like, you know, word going around the facility is that you guys aren't pulling your weight in the run game. Wow. And, uh, that was one of the first times I had experienced it because I remember I went in and talked to our, our trainer who was guy, Rick Burkholder, who's a legendary trainer, a great dude, uh, him for the Eagles. And then he's still with Andy at the, uh, the chiefs, um, incredible guy. I mean, trainer of the year. I mean, he's a legit dude and Burkholder kind of like shrugged his shoulders. And he's like, man, uh, when you hear things like that. That just, uh, those dudes don't make that shit up. You have to know that either somebody's motivating you or somebody's fucking loose lip sync ships type of a deal. And um, that was interesting for me because I called the dude out. I'm like, what are you fucking saying? Because at the end of the day, we're fucking running the shit out of the ball and you think that we're running it off of the tackles, you're fucking crazy. So it was just interesting that that came in that way. And uh, the NFL shady as fuck. I mean, um, it's always been that way because uh, it's just the nature of it because you have... These fucking sports writers who have never done shit in their lives, but yet represent the, you know, the fat guy sitting on the couch. You know, I mean, the, um, you know, I mean, I, I always appreciate Jason Whitlock, but I mean, shit, Jason Whitlock is, you know, now his, his whole platform is this and, you know, calling all this stuff out. He's unmarried, no kids. And yet he's talking about family all the time. He's over there writing negative shit, but yet can't run across the fucking street. I mean. It's um, For me, it's always been a little disingenuous, and I like Jason. I mean, we connected on on uh, many levels, but he was real poison pen and would fucking rat-fuck the hell out of people. And, um, you know, I mean, I just – I don't know. I've never been a huge fan of sports writers, um, and I've never been – Uh, I've always been real nervous of fans that like to just cast fucking shade at all times. And I think before social media, they were just fans that were mad at their home, uh, probably yelling around the cooler. But now everybody has a fucking platform with social media.
0: What's also interesting is you've expressed that at different coaching staffs where uh, strength coach Hurd was asked to make the play calls for the defense because of some just shady shit going on within the coaching staffs. Yeah. That's an interesting...
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you get... Um, organizations that are this big where you have a whole lot of different personalities and this much money's involved. So you have these owners, right? I've always told you the story about Tom Modrak, who since passed his way, God rest his soul, who was the GM at the Eagles that drafted me. He said, never forget football's a violent game played by violent individuals that get paid a lot of money to do violence on behalf of old rich white men. So you have these extremely rich owners who, you know, hold themselves to a certain standard, usually captains of industry, very successful in everything they've done. The Arthur Blanks, I mean, Jeffrey Lurie's, I mean, these people, all big money people. And now they're found a new way to compete by I'm going to put my best players against your best players. We have a salary cap. We build this business. Now let's go out and see who wins this motherfucker. And they have egos. Um, you know, Robert Kraft. I mean, shit. Uh, you know, one of my favorite Robert Kraft ones, and I've told you guys the story. Um, you know, I'm sitting there after practice just in the, in the facility, um, you know, uh, dining hall, just sitting there watching TV. And there was a couple young dudes and I was just kind of hanging out. I think I was reading and, uh, he walks in and kind of like looks around and goes over and starts turning all the TVs off. And one of the young guys was over there at the fruit, uh, like where, where the fruit was at the buffet. And Kraft walks over and is like, oh, are they all out of blueberries? And the kid had like a big bowl of blueberries. He'd obviously taken them all. And he's like, yeah, 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 they're out of blueberries. Kraft just takes the bowl out of his hand and walks out with it. And the dude walks over to me. He's like, man, that uh, the owner just took my blueberries. I'm like, well, technically they're his blueberries. Yeah. But he walked in. He looked around. <laughs> there was no big-time players in there. I mean, and I'm just sitting there reading, and a couple young dudes turned those TVs off. I just, uh, you know, but... um. You don't think that the whole Brady deflate gate and all the other shit that happened to Kraft was in response to the owners being pissed off about them winning the games as much as, you know, as well as the Patriots were doing for all those years?
0: Well, I also remember the stats from said deflate game, and it was like four rushing touchdowns. I don't think they had a passing touchdown. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, like at the end of the day, if you think that the PSI of the ball has anything to affect the outcome, I'd be be pretty surprised on that one. There's other things that have a bit greater outcome than the PSI of a ball. But uh, to take it back, I think, um, you know, strength is where you find it. I think weakness is where you look for it. And I think it's real easy to point out. I mean, you know, it's the, uh, it's, it's really become our culture where everybody's on the lookout to try to point something out to take emphasis off themselves. I mean, we've seen it all the time. Um, you know, even within our own company and stuff where it's real easy just to point a finger instead of saying, you know what, you're right. I didn't do this well. I need to do better. What is asked of me? And I always go back to um, something we learned from the 18th Airborne Corps meeting with General of Camera. As we were in those meetings, they always left with what was the commander's intent. And Mm -hmm. Dave Spant and I talk about this. What's the commander's intent? Here's what success looks like. Here's the commander's intent. This is what he wants. And um, I think for individuals, you know, um, you know, strong body, strong mind, um, you know, being able to, you know, find your path and at the end of the day, live a life that you feel is one that's worthy of, you know, you being here.
0: And training good does go a long way. It's this opportunity that's for you to be honest with yourself. You know, you did the work, you know, if you chose to hit snooze and sleep in. But it,
1: but it, it takes it a step further i yeah I mean they, building that up, yeah, I mean, the training, and I know i'm I'm jumping the gun on this. the training has always been a vehicle to get you where you're going. I mean, I, you know, I go back to my buddy Bundy saying, you know, remember Johnny, the party's on the road, so I mean, like there's fun in the training because the training is the vehicle, the training is getting us to the end goal. Um, but you know, like, uh, we had a conversation with Antonio earlier today, we were talking about a little bit about, you know, like if, uh, you know, something prepares yourself for this, I mean, you know, like you have to be the master of your own ship. You have to decide your own destiny. Um, you know, something that, um, you know, obviously my son we've talked about has uh, type one diabetes and, uh, we were reading some research about like outcomes in this and it's fucking depressing, you know, seeing like, you know, these kids, you know, at a young age, they get this, they kind of rebel in this, and they were kind of going through this case study. And, um, you know, my it's depressing to read. And what I said to my wife is, like, the only thing we can do for our kids is arm them for their journey and prepare them for their journey. And like I talked about when uh, my dad passed away, you know, the job of the father is to prepare the son or the child for the day that the father's not there to, to guide them. Um, you know, we have to take them on this journey. We have to give them the best opportunity, arm them as much as we can and then set them out in the world and hope that we did a good job and support them any way we can. Because we can't live their lives, much like with the training programs. Um, for all you guys, I mean, I've always joked, uh, you know, like uh, and very truthfully, that, you know, you and Callie and, uh, you know, Luke and all these guys all came to me at an interesting point where you guys were fairly young. And uh, there was a, you know, hopefully I mentored you guys in a good direction that you went out in the world, not fucking angry and bitter at me, but more like, hey, I had a... Um, you know, a good opportunity to learn something, and now I'm on a good path. And to see you guys successful is really incredible for me, but same with my kids. Have I prepared them? Do I, have I given them uh, everything that I can so that they have the skills to be able to go out in this world and be successful? And, uh, you know, I think this world's hard enough without having a bunch of parents fuck you up. But, like, you know, everything, like, I always want my kids to know that I support them and that I've armed them. But at the end of the day, I can't fight the wars for them. I can't fight the battles. They have to do that themselves. And I think part of what we run into in this time is that parents feel that, and this is the helicopter parenting. This is the uh, Lawn, lawnmower parent. Yeah, lawnmower parent. Yeah, we're just going to fucking buzzsaw everything. But, I mean, this is Angela Duckworth's grit. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a coddling of the American mind. I mean, we've had these people on the podcast. We've talked at this. We've read these books that – the helicopter parent where I'm going to fucking drop in like a nuclear bomb and try to solve all your problems because, you know, that's how I do And I mean, that is invariably disarming your children. And in an in instance, in the absence of true leadership, false prophets appear. I mean, it's the world of Karens. My daughter Jamie loves watching these Karen videos on YouTube. And you know what? It's people that have grafted onto the emotion and can't fucking be rational. And um, <clears throat> it's... Um, I think all you can do is, one, you can be the model which you weigh yourself against, which is always really fascinating. I was thinking a little bit about, like, uh, um, you know, like, how do I put this? Um, You know, we had, uh, um, uh, well, like I was thinking uh, a little bit about the Steve Weatherford you know, where, um, you know, he's, he's doing an incredible deal in influencing people by showing like, hey, this is who I was and this. And, you know, trying to show a, a better version of himself. And I think it's great. Uh, I just think that like not everybody gets to that realization. Um, so I think you got to, one, try to live a life that you're proud of. And, you know, we were talking on uh, with uh, Dr. Gabriel Lyon. Um, there was that movie I talked about, Defending Your Life from the 80s, mm-hmm. where at some point, you know, you go to purgatory and you get a uh you know defense attorney and a prosecutor and they actually you know did you live with passion did you live without fear and the people that were fearful have to go back and redo it the people that lived without fear that like went 100 miles an hour and didn't worry about stuff but were successful that didn't allow their life to be driven by fear end up going on to heaven so uh i know we've covered a bunch of ground here but that eat the week has really been the embodiment of all of this. you know the uh, you know the idea of uh, you know every day in the offseason getting up and training and trying to sharpen the blade so that I was most efficient to go into training camp and get a job and go in and play and you know and be uh, a player that was remembered not for a whole bunch of bullshit but somebody that was legitimately earned people's respect by playing the game the way it should
0: have been played. And sport and the game and often your career there are people like a coach that are pushing your, your limits or where you believe your limits are and presenting an opportunity for you to level up. And a lot of athletes out there, a lot of people in their professional careers, you know, they put their head down or they play the blame game on, the oh, the coach hates me yeah. or my boss hates me. So this is an opportunity for internalize, devour the weakness. Why is this occurring well, and grow
1: from it? It's really easy to, to, you know, say, Hey, so-and-so is being mean to me or, um, you know, this person doesn't like me or this person's out to get me. I mean, we've seen it. Um, you know, uh, like to the point where we've seen people when you you know call them on it, Hey, like, how come this didn't get done this instantly? All they can do is give you a laundry list of excuses that take the blame off of them until instead of being like, yeah, I need to figure this shit out. Yeah. There's some issues here, but I'm a competent individual and I can solve this problem. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. Uh, that is what I want to hear from people. And when I start hearing like, oh, well, you know, this and this and this, like, I just fucking like tune out and I'm like dude. feeble excuses. And, uh, it's real easy to do that. And I think people, you know, uh, it, it just, like you said, dude, the the body language right there, you just go, oh. you're like, don't be the person that I know you to be, be something better, strive to it. I mean, uh, you know. Taking responsibility for things is really, you know, and I'll go back to classic Andy Stumpf, the difference between a man and a boy. A man does what he has to, a boy does what he wants to. And sometimes a man has to take responsibility if something's not going right to get it right. You know, Andy Reid, same thing. You know, obviously he ceases infighting between B enemy and Mahomes. I mean, what's fascinating on that one, just to kind of circle back, is uh, B enemy has been on the list for a head coaching job for about three or four seasons. Mm -hmm. and hasn't effectively landed a coaching job you know you can talk about um you know the fact if he was uh you know they don't want to hire more black coaches i mean whatever it looks like but if you've been on that head list for a long time and you haven't been able to kind of get the nod and other people that weren't nearly as much pedigree as you have are getting catapulted to these jobs you got to start to look at the individual and say you know what like uh you know like like what's he doing in his interviews how is he not convincing these people that i mean he obviously has the chops played the game uh, coached the game has been on one of the you know prolific most prolific staffs super bowl i mean he should be everybody's first hire why isn't he and um maybe what we're seeing with some of the mahomes battle that back and forth isn't necessarily that uh you know is this anger on his part Where, you know, I'm getting overshadowed, I'm not getting these opportunities, and this kid isn't listening to me. Or, you know, I mean, with a guy like Mahomes, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of shit that's going on. Um, I mean, I can look and I I played in Andy's offense, Um, you know, Mahomes is an extremely dynamic player. I'm sure they give him a lot of leeway to go either way, like they call a play. I mean, I don't know what his checks look like or whatnot, but... You see him make a ton of stuff out of broken plays and he moves. And I don't know if that's because of he's not following his reads or what that looks like, but, uh, you know, invariably he's probably not the type of cat you want to micromanage. You probably just like, Hey, we're going to call the play. And then at the end of the day, you let playmakers be playmakers. And Andy's real good about that. So I don't know, but it's just an interesting thing. But then the other issue is the NFL loves to create drama. They have to, uh, Aaron Rodgers made an incredible point where he's like every season, it's the greatest suspense novel in the history of the world. And it's written in real time. And we don't know who's gonna be the heroes, who's gonna be the protagonist and the antagonist. We don't know who's gonna be the, you know, uh, you know, like the, like we don't know where the final battle is gonna be. And he went through all this stuff and he's like, it's the greatest novel and it gets written every year. And you have these individuals who have to stoke the fire to create bad guys and good guys and heroes in this. And he's like, I was the bad guy. And they fucking stoked the fire on me based upon the, you know, fact that he said, hey, I'm, I'm immunized. And nobody took him for granted, even though the team knew he wasn't vaccinated. And then all of a sudden you're hurting your players. You're putting people in danger. You're a fucking piece of shit. And, uh, you know, I mean, he had already had COVID. I mean, there's just, a, it was really interesting to it hear. It's a great his, analogy. Yeah. So yeah, incredible analogy. And as soon as he said it, like my head popped, I was like, man, this is an incredible one.
0: Could you now say that our listeners out there could be the hero to their own story?
1: Uh, I think everybody has the potential to be the hero of their own story. Um, But then you go back to the Jim Wendler don't have heroes. Is that something where like, you know, don't be the hero. I mean, yeah, everybody has like, we're all writing our own graphic novel. And uh, it goes back to my other favorite one is that you're the villain in somebody else's story. Just one. Well, no, but I mean, uh, (laughs) think about that. Like somewhere like you can think about this. You are somebody's villain in their story. And you know what? Like, I'm fine to be your villain if you need me to be your villain. But at the end of the day, uh, I just want people to hold themselves to a good standard. Um, You know, there should be, you know, the, um, so whenever I hear parents, and I, I get asked this question more than not, where parents would be like, oh, knowing what you know now, would you let your kids play football? If you could go back in time, would you play football? And I always tell them, yes. Everything good that I learned in this world, I learned from playing football and I learned from my parents and my mom and dad and my brothers you remove one of those i learned about hard work i learned about teamwork i learned about showing up on time going 100 miles an hour giving effort um you know earning your paycheck being an individual that can be counted upon to deliver um you know uh like a, a game plan like we're gonna sit up we're gonna lay the game plan and here's my piece and i'm gonna go do it uh consistency you know diet training i mean all the other stuff that you have to do um and at the end of the day don't be a piece of shit I played with a lot of dudes that were pieces of shit. Uh, I was, (laughs) oh, fuck. You see what's happened with Brett Favre?
0: More texts?
1: No idea. No. So Brett Favre just, uh, oh, you didn't see this? So there was a a welfare. um, They gave $70 million uh, for like welfare in Mississippi. And the people that were in charge of the nonprofit, he was negotiating them to funnel money from the nonprofit to build a new volleyball stadium at old miss for like 5.1 million. And then there was also $1.2 million that he was paid for speaking engagements that he never did. So the guy who is in charge of the, of the funding, whatever just took a plea deal with the feds. And the only time people take a plea deal like that is if you're in a situation where you have no out and there's a bigger fish to fry. So Brett Favre is in a bad situation in the fact that uh and he claims to not know, but yet he they have text messages with him and the individual where he's like, "Is there any way this can get traced back to me and like a little bit of weird admissions of guilt, so he's in a bad situation um you know i mean i don't I don't necessarily think that uh you know hopefully there's nothing nefarious you know wanting to get a new stadium built for old Miss. I just don't know if uh you know using f- uh welfare funds well was was it Ole Miss or Southern Miss? Because he went to Southern oh, Miss. Oh, sorry. Where, wherever his daughter goes to oh, school. Oh, so then I don't, I don't know that. But yeah. he went to Southern. Uh, so wherever his daughter plays volleyball, they were trying to get a new volleyball facility built for like 5.1 million, which seems really cheap in the grand scheme of things. Right, I'll look it up later. I mean, uh, Brett, Brett was an incredible player. But even at the end of his career with uh, that hot gen chick, remember where he was sending dick pics? Do which, I? At a different time in this world, you know the problem is he was in his forties, and you're you know over there sending dong pics to a twenty-one-year-old intern. It's probably not a good play in this world, day and age with social media. And I mean, look at look at your guy Adam Levine, my guy, <laughs> right? Uh, married to a Victoria's Secret model, she's pregnant with number three, and you're out there doing this. Like, uh, like uh, I mean, I I get that he's a rock star, and I get like it's acceptable. My head
0: coach freshman year of college, and I'll never forget this. He often, and this is how stupid we are, he would stop us, and if we did something bad, he'd be like, let's play a little game. Good idea, bad idea. And he in front of the whole team, so if you got caught drinking in the dorms, anything, anything, let's play a little game. Good idea, bad idea. And so that, uh, a, a heavy lift of shame for you, but then, I mean, most of the other guys were there with you, so it was, but that, That little game uh, always stuck with me. Well,
1: but uh, uh, I think in today's day and age, uh, a lot of things that might have just been like hearsay now with like social media, with text messaging and like uh, emails and this. I mean, you know, you got Adam Levine uh, hitting chicks up on DMs on Instagram being like your body's so insane and this and then like basically like telling the chick that, that was he's gonna my like, picture that I he's sent him. gonna name uh his third child after the girl so like you're basically gonna ask your wife to pick the name of the chick who's like you know you're seeing on the side piece like it just feels so fucking dumb and is it because they won't they they don't care or they don't get caught like at um So here's a, here's an interesting kind of point of view for this, like, uh, you know, whether or not you, you know, are married with kids, whatever, um, you know, if you believe in the covenant of marriage, um, you know, like, you know, death do us part, whatnot. But at the end of the day, like you have these little humans, I got twin daughters, I got a son, Um, you know, forever they will know that, you know, this will be front public and center for him and his kids that, you know, daddy was, did something bad to mommy. And you know what, like forever he's going to grow up and regardless of how he creates those bonds or repairs things or whatever, those kids are going to forever know that he embarrassed the fuck out of their mom, embarrassed the fuck out of himself and his family. And that will always track them. And that shit's important to me. Um, You know, talk about legacy and name and that, I mean, you can say whatever you want, but um, at the end of the day, uh, I think like, you know, uh, those little individuals that you know, you're in charge from that. We talked about arming them with the skills so that they can go on into this world and be successful and go that. I think it's, it's fucking, it's a hard world. And unfortunately the, with the internet and the way things are, people have long memories. And, um, yeah, that's a, uh, you know, you can say what you want about a lot of people, but man, that's, um, like my heart breaks, not only for that dude, that one, he would feel like this. Well, one, he had nobody around him, and be like, first of all, you don't know that this shit can be screen capped and these bitches are going to fucking out you which seems stupid i mean like and if he doesn't know that he's a moron that's bad idea yeah that's a bad idea and the fact that you have i mean dude your wife is probably one of the hotter chicks i mean you don't get to be a victoria's secret angel model without being probably like in that top you know giselle echelon uh and she now you're working on your third kid i mean that just feels like a dude who fucking doesn't know himself and all you have to do is see him shirtless with his tattoos To know that that guy doesn't know who the fuck he is i'm like i've never seen him it's like he went and he got all those tattoos at once and they all look like garbage so um i'm gonna i'm gonna shit on his tattoos but uh to me that's a sad deal and i feel terrible for that lady and i feel terrible for those kids and i feel terrible that he's been embarrassed like this because it must be a terrible fucking home life it's like tom brady right wants to come back and play he probably told his wife that he wasn't going to Goes back on it. She's pissed off at him and he has to leave training camp, which at the end of the day, like NFL is important, but take care of your fucking family. You got a family, you got kids. And so he leaves. And what happens? The fucking media base him. And he gets up there and he's like, man, I'm 45 years old. There's a lot of shit going on in my life. And, you know, sometimes I got to go home and deal with this, which is, you know, my situation at home. And to have the amount of people shit on him for that, not because. Well, he went to the masked singer, John. Oh, you think that's what he did? A hundred percent. I hope to God that it's the masked singer and he's just keeping the fucking deal. Uh, But the media was really hard on him. And it's like, man, this guy has laid his body and his life on the funeral pyre of football for over two decades. He's had three Hall of Fame careers. This motherfucker wants to take 11 days off to go home and deal with his wife and his family and make sure everything's fine. Uh, fucking tell me where I'll go pick him up and drive him there. And he doesn't owe these people fuck all. He doesn't owe these sports writers anything. He's already proven himself a thousand times over. And then the, the fact that you have a bunch of fat fucking sports writers and a bunch of fans cast shadows, it's bullshit. Um, you know, it's not like, I mean, shit, uh, I, I would be surprised. I mean, what, what's the best thing? I'll tell you the most humanizing thing I saw of Tom Brady was at his, uh, the Super Bowl boat thing where he got shit-faced and they had to carry him out. Dude's probably not a big drinker. He probably had like three shots and probably out in the sun, had a great time, time of his life and probably the first humanizing thing. That guy has been absolute Teflon with his, uh, with his image for as long as he has. It was great. He humanized him. And as I saw his boys carrying him out, I was like, as they should. And you know what? We should revere that dude. Um, you know, did uh, he, you know, like th- this is an interesting piece um, and something I reflected on recently. Um, you get a chance to do this job and play in the NFL. Um, it becomes your life your friends do it. You're around people. You're in this bubble. It's how you identify yourself. Uh, I got to do it for 10 years. The day that you don't get to do it anymore, it's really hard because you like for a lot of people, don't know who you are. I I recently watched uh, some with Tony Gonzalez where he's like, I was on vacation somewhere and I just started crying because it was over. I I mean, that dude did it for 17 years. Got to walk away with a job on the sports decks, hall of fame, the best to ever do the job for almost two decades. Mm-hmm. And he still battled with what is my identity? Who am I? How do I know this? And that's a really interesting piece um, for me. I mean, it. my career ended long before I thought that it should have. I thought I had good football in me and injury, whatnot, just fucking tackled it out. I mean, it wasn't until a few years later I figured out why through, you know, working with uh, Dr. Bueller and Tom Inkladon and the people we've worked with. And, you know, that's the physical aspect, but also the mental, the emotional of like, what's my identity? Who am I? Uh, you know, what's the weakness that comes up when I'm all by myself and I'm laying in bed and like, you know, uh, your mind's racing a hundred miles an hour. Like what are the demons that come and see you? What are the regrets? What are the things that you did? You know, like we were talking with Dr. Uh, Gabrielle, uh, AKA G money. Um, you know, people don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't do. So you're in there and you're like, did I do everything that I was supposed to Did I live this thing as well as I should? Did the body of work that I did earn me the respect of those that I played with? Now, the Hall of Fame and all that other shit is like a publicity stunt. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's how people view you. But at the end of the day, did you earn the admiration and the respect of the people you worked with and the people that you worked against? And that, to me, is by far the greater mark. Uh, believe me, um, you know I'll never get to the Hall of Fame, but there are players that I played with. I mean, we have Jason Dunn. We've had numerous guys on that were like, fuck, dude. That guy came. And they, that guy brought it and did the job the way they were supposed to. And to me, that's a marker of success. Here's a situation where Tony, the best tight end to ever play the game. I don't give a shit who you want to throw Kelso and Kelsey and all these other guys. Tim Tebow, this tight end. Yeah, Tony's great. And there was a situation even in his retirement with a, a huge job on the sports desk, Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody will remember his name forever. I mean, dude, we were in Ensenada, Mexico. This is hilarious. We were in Ensenada. We went down there for whatever fucking reason. I don't remember. Uh, we go into a bar. We're coming out. Uh, Nick, who's one of uh, our friends, one of Tony's buddies from high school, gets thrown out of the bar and like starts getting kind of roughed up by the security. And all of a sudden, we go over there. And 4,000 Raiders fans all of a sudden realize that this is Tony Gonzalez and start fucking chanting, fucking Tony you know, I mean, and they're Chiefs fans, whatever, like this whole thing got dissipated real quick when all of a sudden he had a fucking force of 4,000 Raiders fans that were Tony Gonzalez fans, and uh, I mean, just just the power within a split second when these people realized who he was, I mean, you would have, like, it was frightening to see all of a sudden people come to his aid, you know, be bold, mighty forces come to your aid, we talked about for uh, uh, Almost Famous, but in a situation where that guy who is, you know, uh, one of the most intelligent, kindest, gentlest dudes I've ever met uh, and one of the greatest athletes, like, didn't know who he was. And so you have a situation where Tom Brady, who's been in this fight, he's been at the head, you know, and I hate the term GOAT, but if anybody, ever going to use one, it's fucking him. I mean, him and Jordan. LL Cool J, but yeah. Well, did you hear uh, Jordan when they called him the GOAT? He said, don't call me that. The only way I'd be the GOAT is if I got a chance to play against Wilt Chamberlain and the best ever, and I didn't get a chance. So if I didn't play against him, how do I know I was the best? don't don't call me that but Brady I mean dude for two decades has played at the highest level more Super Bowls I mean has a argument to be the best to ever play the game and there's a situation where you know hey uh, you have to take care of your family your wife wants you more involved in this I'm going to step away and then the finality of stepping away where no longer will he be the person that he's known himself to be for more than his adult life I mean think about it he's been playing football for longer than he's been alive I mean since he's, what, 14 years old? And now he's 45. So for 30 years of his life, he's been the guy taking the snap, living in this. I mean, I bet you, he's like, I, I don't know who I am without this. I can't leave this yet. And then his wife was like, you, you know, I mean, like, like, I can see this thing play out because in reality, this was my life. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, shit, who am I if I'm not this person? And then you have to go back to that, you know, devour that weakness piece, eat the weak, right? Mm-hmm. Who am I now? And that was an interesting thing. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. You know, and I always joke, uh, you know, I'm my father's son. Like, that's an easy, basic one. You've got to go back. Uh, you know, I was a Berkeley grad. Um, you know, I uh, uh, you know, class myself as a renaissance man, a rhetorician. I mean, all these things, you know, uh, you know the fact that, you know, we came here to Texas and have built these things. When people come and you see this podcast room in this building, people are amazed, you know, by the things that we've created. And i think you start taking stock of not only the influence you have on other people but the things that you're able to do within your life um, i had an incredible opportunity where cross reached out to me um, as i was still recovering from an injury about going out and teaching what i knew about performance and strength conditioning you know helping them develop their technology and how to train athletes and then got to go out on the road and actually influence people in a positive way i mean it was almost a seamless transition like i got injured had surgery. And then this started and we've been doing this for a hundred miles an hour for a long, you know, for since this, I mean, to take me back and imagine me sitting as a new father, hiding a little bit at the gym, just so I could get some work done because I had two babies at home. And, um, you know, we would get some help during the day so I could go to the gym and like, you know, now we manage the gym, but you know, cross the football, all the stuff that we were doing, trying to come up with a tagline. You know, going into just, you know, banks and weights by myself listening to Lemmy's Eat the Rich and realizing that eat the weak" is the is what we've been trying to do for all these years. Um, But uh, the um, I'm forever grateful for the opportunity I had to play in the NFL and for every day that I did it. And I I had I did have a sad realization that because it was so fucking cool, uh, I never really allowed myself to like it. So there was always this thing where I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's just something I do. And I would downplay it. And I think because when something is that important to you, uh, you're afraid that it'll be snatched from you. And if it is, and it's taken from you at any moment, that it will break your heart. And uh, that piece and people are like, well, what was it? it? It wasn't about the fans. It wasn't about the uniforms, the facility or any of the other bullshit. It was the fact that I got to train with a singular purpose. And then I got to go out and test that every single Sunday against the best biggest, brightest, biggest stars in the world in terms of physicality. And uh, that was addictive for me. And I was afraid that like when that all of a sudden gets taken from you, how do you fill that need? You know, is it, do you get up on TV and Timmy, Tony, Terry, Tommy, and you get to fucking yap about the shit you did fucking 40 years ago and talk about football? Didn't fucking uh, excite me. I like this podcast because we get to connect with a whole bunch of interesting people, which as you know, I'm in this perpetual learning stage and I'm constantly acquiring knowledge. And this podcast has been even though I hated the fucking idea of doing a podcast. Well, you went from being the hammer to building hammers, forging hammers, forging, crafting hammers. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, it, man, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I also had the, um, the wherewithal and I, I forever am thankful for this, um, that I wasn't a painkiller guy. That wasn't a drug guy. Um, that I wasn't a big drinker. Um, I, even though, I mean, I would go out and have some drinks. I can't say that I wasn't, didn't, didn't have drinks, but I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't a pill head. I wasn't a, you know, a habitual marijuana smoker, like, you know, like, uh, like that. Um, or just a marijuana smoker in general. Um, but like when all of a sudden I think what happens is when it ends for guys, the guys that are big into substances that are using them as coping mechanisms, whether it be to chase pain or booze or, you know, who knows, fucking strip club porn, whatever the fuck their addiction is. um, All of a sudden when the football goes away, that becomes the focus. That's the dopamine rush in this. Well, um, yeah. That wasn't my deal. Uh, Consumed by it. Yeah. And what my rush was, was going out on the road, getting up, and presenting cross of football and working with people and traveling and talking and building this fucking sea monkey experiment in real time. This idea that I had that you could space foster. Space monkeys, John. Space monkeys. That you could foster and develop athleticism if you understand the components of athleticism. And uh, we still get excited and talk about it because it's fucking cool that you can build hammers. You can craft athletes. That you can take a look At, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's the best in the world, put them through a series of training metrics and like understand weaknesses in this and where they're deficient and add some uh, different pieces and then effectively put them back into the system and then push them back out and see if they're better versions of themselves. And to me, that's always been like the experimental piece of this. And, um, you know, I know people like to do it. You know, my buddy George Bryant does it with, uh, you know, marketing and this. And you got Matt Vinson who's traveling around the world on the FOMO deal where he's just basically taking, a, you know, epic naked pictures and building his OnlyFans. I'm kidding. But uh, I keep telling Matt, I'm like, you need to start an OnlyFans, you probably crush it. Um, but like that type of stuff, man, like people have to find their place in this world. And I think what happens to a lot of professional athletes is uh, they can't walk away from the game. So they either kind of slide into the media, which to me feels extremely dirty. I mean, l- look at Heath Evans. I mean, he had a great job working for NFL. Um, you know, gets a, sends a kind of semi-flirty text message to some chick who puts it out, and they fucking eviscerated him, and he lost that job. I mean, dude was fucking great. Um, you know, so the media side's shady as fuck. Uh, you, know, um, you know, do you get to be an announcer? Do you get to go to games? I mean, very few guys get a chance to do that. Sideline reporter, I mean, fucking Booger McFarlane, terrible football player. Even worse announcer has a job, anybody that knows, and anybody, like I played against him. Um, so uh, those guys are very few and far between. What do they do? I mean, we had Logan Paulson on the podcast. I mean he coaches people you know using I mean that strength engine I'm excited to try. Um, you know, look at what Nick Hardiac is doing. I, uh, I love Nick. I'm so sad that Nick and I weren't friends when we were playing and that we didn't get a chance to to you know connect that, you know, it's been since we've retired, we've connected, but I, you know, I look at that dude as like a kindred spirit and, um, you know, he's, you know, incredible family man has, you know, a great wife and kids and invests a lot of time and work and wants to be the standard which he's measuring his family against, you know, um, has a ton of shitty tattoos, which I always appreciate too. Um, but is, you know, got in shape, isn't 400 pounds, you know, posts a bunch of shirtless selfies, like an underwear model. I mean, um, this has been this idea of like, and to, to bring it back, all of this is wrapped up in like that dark moment when I went in the gym, listened to Lemmy's Eat the Rich, which is about literally if you listen to the lyrics of that, you know, that, you know, there's people that have more let's fucking eat those guys. And, uh, you know, that idea of like, what is the weakness when you close your eyes, you know, have you done the job that you were required to do is the body of work that you did allowed you to, you know, enter the gates of Ahala to use that one. But did you do the job? And more importantly, like what is the weakness when you come out the other side on this? Can you invariably build yourself into another version? Can you stand upon yourself and do something else brilliant? Is this the only thing you ever did? And if forever, the only thing that I've ever did was stand on this side and play, play a game and that's what if people are going to know me forever? I don't think so. So the Eat the Weak, um, you know, trademark power athlete owned by myself and power athlete, has been much more than just a fancy thing to put on t-shirts or what we have in terms of not a call for cannibalism, but about devouring that weakness mm-hmm. is because, you know, there's a lot of darkness within things. And especially in that transition and people will listen and people will be like, oh, you sound like a fucking prima donna. You had this great life and this dude, it's just like everybody. I remember my brother, uh, my, my brother's a criminal defense attorney. And I remember when, as I was at this transition, my brother's like, man, I can't imagine I uh, went to school, went to law school, cut all my teeth, you know, did everything I had to do to be a criminal offense attorney. I can't imagine if somebody just knocked on the door and said, you can't do this anymore. Go fuck off and do something else. He's like, it's my identity. It's who I am. It's what I've worked for my whole life. And now all of a sudden somebody else decides when you get a chance to do this and don't. He's like, I don't know if I could deal with that. And he's like, but unfortunately, you don't know how strong you are until you're forced to be strong. You have to figure it out and just falling into a bottle of pills or a bottle of booze or, you know, strip clubs or whatever the fuck you get addicted to, um, you know, uh, chasing a bunch of, you know, Adam Levine, a bunch of women on Instagram because you feel somehow uh, neglected at home or maybe your wife isn't hot enough or kids are taking away too much attention. And so you get shitty tattoos and you want to be the front man for a band and that no longer suffices you. So
0: I think it's, uh, well, I, I want to emphasize that, training or putting yourself in this position. So we challenge people through our training programs. And we
1: challenge ourselves. What what do we say every
0: single day as we lead? I'm going to challenge you to let me build on this point. (laughs) So essentially training is this opportunity. Following a nutrition protocol is not as easy as we make it out to be, but that's an opportunity to challenge yourself daily and resist the temptation of food. Training, resist the temptation of the snooze. And all of those are little reps presenting opportunity for you to make a proper decision so when the the temptation of the strip club or whatever the hell is pulling you away from your goals, family, career, anything, you now have thousands of reps of making the, the correct decision of eating the week to simply say no and be confident in your ability versus any FOMO out there, any BS, you've done the work. So that... I feel eat the week embodies that so utilizing training to get the opportunity and the reps to know who the fuck you are so you can take a stand for family life job or the next thing that's that's heady
1: yeah I I think we're entering an interesting time um in that there's a bunch of people like um you know a bunch of lost souls I mean people that are searching for meaning I mean The one thing that's really struck me with Jordan Peterson, where we were talking about, we got the chance to go see Jordan Peterson speak here in Austin on the first stop of his tour. Uh, I was uh, both happy, amused, and I thought it was awesome the amount of guys that showed up in suits. For what, and you know, why even Jordan Peterson commented, a lot of great looking dudes out here in suits. I'm really proud of you guys for showing up. And a lot of those guys looked to Jordan Peterson. And so what's wild for me is when, um, because I view him as just a really caring man and the fact that you'll hear him demonized and people like this and that i'm like i've never heard anything other than just trying to empower individuals so that's whenever i hear somebody shit on jordan peterson i'm like ooh, i gotta stay away from this person because i really enjoy listening to him talk and we got a chance to go hear him talk uh but like that idea of people searching for something and um you know i've said to you before, you know most people that go searching from for something find something Uh, you know, this idea of like, you know, asking people for these 12 rules, you know, get up every morning, make your bed, stand up straight. I mean, these things, you know, follow a training program, you know, follow something, you know, have a code, you know, uh, you know, read, reflect, I mean, do whatever you want to do you call it new age bullshit. But at the end of the day, I think it's really difficult to uh, like just trade within this currency, this world, if you don't know who you are. And I think we've, we've run into a bunch of people that don't really know who they are. They're, they're chameleons based off of whatever's cool or whatever they think allows them to give the impression that they're attached to something. You know, do these shoes, do these pants, does this bag, does this hat, does this, I mean, does this uh, associate me with a tribe instead of being like, this is who I am. I don't give a fuck. I don't need anything on my shirt. You know, I don't need anything on my hat. Like I stand on my own. This is who I am. The merits of what I've done have been allowed for me to be successful. Um, so, I mean, I do, forever appreciate people like Jordan Peterson, you know, offering this. I mean, you know, we were talking about Jocko's extreme ownership, you know, that idea of like, you know, testing yourself, you know, owning your shit, like knowing who you are. And I, um, I think there's a lot of interesting thought leaders at this point in this world. And, uh, I think it's because there's so much noise that you need some really good information. And I think it's mainly because, um, I think there's been a lot of shitty fathers, you know, I mean, you know, how many people we met that was like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get what I needed to out of my dad uh, or my dad wasn't around or this. And,
0: you know, we kind of talk about those lost boats. Well, yeah. Say that or say something negative, you know, they, yeah. yeah, towards them. So in any shape or form, that kind of uh, either resentment for or acknowledgement. I mean, if they're acknowledging they didn't get what they needed, that's certainly a step forward rather than resentment.
1: Well, but, uh, um, you know, did their dad not know who they are? You that's, know,
0: that's another issue.
1: I mean, be, yeah. yeah, we don't know. There's yeah. an infinite, I mean, in, infinite deal. But I think what we tried to do is create a brand that's based upon a set of principles and a methodology and then invariably go out and live that and not be disingenuous um, you know, um, the one thing I've always, uh, uh, I have very well appreciated about like the rich Froning, like rich Froning, for example, right. Like family man, right. Bust his ass, like not only continues to win the CrossFit games, like shows up as a, it's like I did as an individual dude, as a team, he's got his Buffalo ranch. I mean, that dude like has done a ton of stuff and built upon it. And, uh, I don't know him personally, but like, you know, just like from what I've seen, like Seems like a pretty good dude. Uh, Christian set of ideals. I know he doesn't believe that the, you know, in the, in the paleo thing, cause he doesn't believe they're longer than 6,000 years old. I don't know if he's changed on that recently, but like always everybody I've ever met said, dude, nicest dude. Well, I've drank
0: beers with his dad
1: yeah. at his home. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, yeah. I mean, give you shirt off his back. So, I mean, like, I think there is opportunity out there, but it just feels like there's a lot of rudderless boats. And I think uh, if we can be a bastion for that. And I think that with the way we provide this stuff is through the, the lens of training. The idea, I mean, what do we say every day we leave the office? See you tomorrow,
0: 7 a.m.? 7 a.m. We might be a little early. It might be a little late, but we see each other every morning. Yes. And this, I mean, going back to the Bible and the iron sharpens iron, this is where we can sharpen one another and screw the representation of teamwork. If you need it as an individual out there, eat the wheat can be yours. Not uh, on a T-shirt. Not on a T-shirt or, me, or Yeah,
1: yeah or, or you'll get a cease and desist. As people have found out, and then they get mad, and I'm like, dude, you're just late to the party. Come up with your own shit. You got to have more deep reflection, but um, yeah. Well, man, if you
0: week. want to put Eat the Week on your back from us, shop at PowerAthleteHQ.com. If you want to take ownership, start training, and find out who you are, PowerAthleteHQ.com slash training. We got plenty of training program options specific. Towards your goals, find out which training program is right for you, and that is another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye.